The Seahawks are entering rare territory, holding a top five pick at the number five selection in the 2023 NFL Draft. What would be the best and worst case scenarios for Pete Carroll, John Schneider and company? We'll be breaking it all down in our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined on our Blue Friday episode by my co-host Nick Lee and Dallas Cooper. Special thanks to all the 12s as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Let's get to a jam-packed Blue Friday episode. We're going to be talking about best and worst case scenarios for the number five pick for the Seahawks in the first round of the upcoming draft. We're going to be ranking the outside free agents so far signed by the Seahawks and, and maybe the most uh, the most inspiring or maybe the most heated debate that we've ever had on this show will be taking place later and when we're talking about a certain player's hall of fame candidacy i know that we're all looking forward to that as well so let's get to it now for our lead story here on our blue friday edition of locked on seahawks it has been a long time since the seattle seahawks have held a top five selection in the nfl draft in fact it predates john schneider and pete carroll arriving in 2010 when they had a four number four overall pick back in 2009, that was Jim Mora and company. The one year that Jim Mora was in Seattle, they picked Aaron Curry, who ended up eventually becoming an assistant coach for the Seahawks. He's more known for that than his play on the field. And certainly, when you have a top five pick, guys, it puts a lot of pressure on you as an organization to add a blue chip talent, especially a team like the Seahawks that made the playoffs last year and has a lot of young talent already. This could really be the pick that puts them over the top if they hit it out of the park and they've got a lot of options. So we're going to be talking best and worst case scenarios now that we've got roughly a month until the first round kicks off in Kansas City. Nick, I'm going to throw it to you first. What would be the best case scenario in your opinion for the Seahawks at pick number five? Well, best case scenario, um, you know, we've already seen that some teams are elbowing each other for the top, um, towards the top, kind of trying to muscle their way to the top four, top five for all these quarterbacks. It's a pretty quarterback heavy class, uh, certainly to make up for last year. And I think the best case scenario, and in my opinion, I'm not I'm not sold on the fact that the Seahawks need to sell out at five for a quarterback, especially with, you know, Smith, which I think bides them some time, whether that's some flexibility in trading down and maybe getting a quarterback that falls or a mid round slept on kind of quarterback. Um, but for five, the best case scenario for me is that those teams do trade and leapfrog the Seahawks and four quarterbacks just go flying off the board, right? Right off the top. And that puts the Seahawks in a really good spot as pretty much where the draft starts for everybody else. And that either, that either means they're going to have the pick of the litter of anybody else. That's not a quarterback, whether that be, you know, Will Anderson Christian Gonzalez or you know, pretty much any non-quarterback you can think of that you like in the draft in the top 10, the Seahawks will have their pick pick of the litter there. And that also provides them the opportunity to trade down. So um, 
is they're going to have basically the entire draft in front of them besides quarterback at five, if that happens. And I'm not sure how likely that is. I think we're all waiting and seeing what, what Arizona does. Um, but I think for me, uh, the more quarterbacks and the more teams that, that leapfrog the Seahawks to go get a quarterback in the top four, the better, because that'll just push everyone else um, down towards five and puts them in a pretty good spot. I saw Dallas nodding when one of the names was mentioned there as a possibility if all quarterbacks go in the first four picks. And that makes me wonder if maybe that's the best case scenario, in your opinion. Pivoting right off of what Nick said, with the ability, the best case scenario at number five, Will Anderson. Will Anderson, what we saw in his sophomore season, 17 sacks in a college football season. That is unheard of. Will Anderson has been a dominant force along an Alabama defensive line for the last multiple years, and he's done it in multiple variety of fronts, and he's proven as he's also been a very good locker room piece for Nick Saban. He's been a culture setter. He's been a leader for the team, and that's a big piece, especially with a top five pick with such premier draft capital. You want to get a player that's going to be not only a great player on the field, but you want a leader in the locker room somebody that can really truly change the culture. And that's what Will Anderson can truly bring for the Seahawks at number five. Yeah, and he's also lacking the baggage of another top defensive player that maybe the Seahawks are still considering. We don't know if he's still on their big board or not. Speaking of Jalen Carter, I'm going to go a little different direction than the two of you because I understand that the Seahawks typically have been picking in the 20s, and that makes it very difficult to get a franchise quarterback. And there are a few guys in this class at that position that I think are well worth a top five pick. So you can think that the Seahawks are just pulling a charade right now, taking selfies with all these quarterbacks. I do not think that that's the way it is. You know, maybe that's part of it. They're trying to get somebody to trade up to number three. That would certainly work in their favor. But for me, the right quarterback falling to you at number five. I mean, Geno Smith being under contract, it does give you a ton of flexibility at the same time. Just how great is Geno Smith going to end up being after what happened last season? Can he get much better than that? We don't know at this point. If a player like Anthony Richardson is there at number five, though, with all the tools, what about AC news? If we, if we are able to get a hold of a player like that to develop behind Geno Smith, and he's get, he's afforded the time that he needs to learn from Greg Olson, the new quarterback coach, and Shane Waldron in a system that is very quarterback friendly. We've seen what's happened with QBs in Seattle throughout Pete Carroll's time. He's not the quarterback whisperer, but he's got a system that really works for quarterbacks. And so if Anthony Richardson's there somehow, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, I don't see them falling to five, but we've seen crazier things happen in the NFL draft. If one of those two falls, that is an ideal scenario for the Seahawks because you either can pick that guy or now you can hold an auction with teams moving up to get a quarterback. And so I think that would be the ideal scenario for the Seahawks. Now let's go to the other end of the coin, Nick, real quick. What would be the worst case scenario for you at number five for the Seahawks when it seems like there aren't many bad things that could happen? What would be that nightmare scenario for you? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a nightmare still because being at pick number five when you just made the playoffs is a pretty darn nice spot. Um, but as far as what I can think of is it's kind of what we saw. Another reason why I was really mad that, uh, the, the Colts and Texans, how the Colts and Texans game, you know, figured out to where the Seahawks don't have a four, the fourth overall pick, um, is before the whole, the whole Jalen Carter fiasco, everyone kind of assumed, okay, top four, you know, two quarterbacks and then Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. So that leaves the Seahawks at five. Um, 
that scenario still is a little scary to me. Maybe that isn't Jalen Carter. Maybe it is, you know, Christian Gonzalez or, or another top defensive player um, or another, a, a third quarterback. The pretty much the it's pretty simple. The four best players that the Seahawks have on their list <laughs> go off, but I would go their top two quarterbacks are off the board and their top two defensive players that, that they prefer are off the board, whether that be Will Anderson and then Jalen Carter, or and I don't think so anymore, but you know, Christian Gonzalez or whoever um, that would be still, the, the unfortunate situation is, is there. So then you're at five sitting with the third quarterback on your list. And again, we don't quite know who that is. That could be a different third quarterback from maybe the Panthers have, or, you know, the Colts, we don't know who, who's on whose yeah. list. Um, but being at five with your third choice at quarterback and your third choice, perhaps, or second or third choice as a defensive player, I think would not, I'm not sure at nightmare, but maybe worst case scenario and being such a good spot. All right, let's swing it over to Dallas here because we've talked all the quarterbacks now, talking players disappearing, not being on the board. And I think that has to do with your biggest fear going into this draft at number five. As we all know, John Schneider is extremely active on draft day, whether it be trade up, trade down, more often than not trade down. And that for me is what I am scared of for a worst case scenario. Worst case scenario for the Hawks at five, they have Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, potentially even both on the board at number five, and they decide to trade back. Yet they trade back too far, and they don't have any premier defensive talent on the board. Then you're left. Best player available is probably going to be, if you trade back into the early teens, going to be Peter Skoransky from Northwestern. And more, more than likely, he's probably going to be a guard at the next level. And to me, you want to pick a valuable position especially when you're picking at your first pick of the draft and yeah. guard is just not the position you want to be able to want to be able to pick first although he is a good player for the Seahawks that is definitely going to be a disappointment coming out with a guard when you had the chance to get a blue chip defensive player I'm going to put a little bit of my personal spin on this just my scouting hat and and maybe this guy is Seattle's number one quarterback I mean they did take a selfie with him today too but for me it's picking Will Levis and if they got him at number 20, I could maybe understand it. But I don't see the decision-making from him as a quarterback. I'm glad that I don't have hair to pull out. Let's just put it that way. Because when I've watched live games and I've watched a bunch of them, you see the physical tools, you see the arm strength, but I also see a guy that makes some very bone-breaking decisions. Like, just, just get really frustrated with what you see from him. And so I just – Picking him, at least Anthony Richardson, he's 20. You see a little bit more polish on his end, in my opinion. Maybe the Seahawks see it differently. And if they love Will Levis, then go for it. But for me personally, that would be a bad first-round pick at number five or if they trade down a few spots. I think you can get a blue-chip player in another position, and that is not the quarterback that I would be aiming to groom behind Geno Smith. Just my personal opinion. But anyway, speaking of opinions, we're going to be dishing out some big-time opinions on one of Seattle's best players that's still on the roster, one of their all-time greats. Is Tyler Lockett on a path to the Hall of Fame? I wrote an article about this yesterday. It's created a lot of discussion, and, well, all three of us are going to continue that spirited debate coming up next year on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Bilt Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try a Bilt Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, 
then I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built Bars, healthy is actually tasty, 100% real chocolate, amazing flavors, including churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but with these bars, they taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, like 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been telling you to order your Built Bars at Built.com, and now you don't have to wait for them to ship it to you. You can go to your local to Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, you can get a 13-bar box with other hit flavors such as brownie batter and churro. So check it out at Walmart and at Sam's Club. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined on Blue Friday by my co-hosts, Nick Lee and Dallas Cooper. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now, it's time for the debate that everybody here, at least, on the show has been waiting for. And it stemmed from an article that I wrote yesterday, put up on All Seahawks on Sports Illustrated through Foundation does Tyler Lockett have a case building for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? We've talked about a number of players from this past 10 to 12 years that have been in Seahawks uniforms, like Richard Sherman, Camp Chancellor, Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, maybe K.J. Wright, that you could look at some Hall of Fame credentials on. Lockett is not a name that gets thrown out there a lot. And Nick, I see you over there. Just you were grinning a second ago. I know that you have been chomping at the bit to refute some of the stuff that I wrote yesterday, even though you love Tyler Lockett. So I'm going to give you the floor here first. Why is Tyler Lockett a Hall of Famer? Or why is he not a Hall of Famer? Where do you stand on that spectrum? All right. Look, first, Mr. Lockett, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I, I love you. You're a fantastic player. And you're, the, the Seahawks are lucky to have you. Um, for the rest of you, you know, let's uh, feel free to break out the pitchforks. I'm a baseball guy first, and so I kind of have a baseball brain as far as you know how it take what it takes for those guys to make the Hall of Fame. In fact, if a genie appeared to me and said, "Hey, you have three wishes," one of them would for me would be to have a lifetime Hall of Fame vote. I, I'm just that passionate about it. I really like it. Anyway, so Pro Football Reference. I, I know it's not the perfect metric. They do have a Hall of Fame monitor, uh, you know, metric. And in their own words, it says it's an, it estimates a player's chances of making the Pro Football Hall of Fame using approximate value, Pro Bowls, All Pros, championships, and a very key one, various stat milestones. That is the that is the metric. And Pro Football Reference um, has the average Hall of Fame wide receiver score at 104. For context, Jerry Rice is at 312, <laughs> triple the average Hall of Fame receiver. Uh, Steve Largen at 136.4. Very, very impressive. Currently, Tyler Lockett is 31.1. Uh, so very, very well short. Trailing guys like Cooper Cup and Doug Baldwin, Amari Cooper, and Odell Beckham Jr. All very, very good receivers, but maybe if their careers ended today, not so much Hall of Famers. Um, that's a ton of ground to make, make up. Tyreek Hill is already a 70 in this metric, by the way. Um and I think what, what, what's what, what's going to work against him is I think this era is working against him from voters. You know, they're going to see a pass happy basketball on grass league rules, you know, uh, favor the receivers in the passing game. And so does he stand out to us as Seahawks fans and Seahawks you know, enthusiasts? Of course, he's a treasure here in Seattle on and off the field. Um, but to the national eye, which unfortunately is kind of how you decide Hall of Famous Hall of Fames. No, not not quite. He's. 
uh, we're biased, obviously. And another thing, a couple more points I want to make is, you know, what other fan base might be kind of making similar stuff, uh, arguments is Heinz Ward, Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, Anquan Bolden is still waiting. Torrey Holt is still waiting. Reggie Wayne is still waiting. Is Tyler Lockett up with those guys? I don't, I don't know. And I'm a big, like, reference sports reference page guy like you know i love looking at baseball reference you know barry bonds or tom brady pro football or michael jordan just seeing all the the accolades and the bold numbers italics and highlights just fun to watch that kind of stuff tyler lockett's pro football reference page is pretty barren and i know that's kind of harsh to say but he doesn't quite have that that gravitas and i actually also uh saw that to the best of my research no receiver that is in the hall of fame with less than three pro bowl appearances and he has zero as a wide receiver so um that that's problematic i understand accolades are not everything we we know he's underrated criminally underrated but accolades are not everything but they're also not nothing and so no hall of fame receiver has had no less than three pro bowl appearances not saying it's impossible but you know a guy like joey galloway who had six straight 1000 yard seasons never made a pro bowl not a Hall of Famer. In fact, has the most receiving yards of any receiver that isn't an, is a isn't a Pro Bowler. Um, now, the lowest reception amount for any Hall of Fame receiver since 1990 is Calvin Johnson, 731. Tyler Lockett's at 533. Lowest receiving rate, lowest receiving yards for a receiver since 1990 in the Hall of Fame is Calvin Johnson, 11,619. Lockett is at 7100, so he'd need to average about 1,100 yards for four more seasons to reach Calvin Johnson's number. So. I'm going to try to wrap it up and keep it short, but in, in for me, it's it's the accolades plus the stat milestones, you know, leading the league or top five in league and in, in, in categories like that. He just doesn't quite have that resume of overall milestones and overall accolades, fair or not, to make the Hall of Fame. Okay, baseball boy, it's time for me to take a football spin with this because they call the NFL not for long league and I always consider that when I'm looking at Hall of Fame candidacies, because think about some of the guys that are in the Hall of Fame that didn't play very long. Now, Tyler Lockett, that's not the case there. He hasn't had, he had one significant injury and he came back from it. He's been very durable, came back from the hand injury last year after surgery, literally one week later. I mean, the guy checks off all the boxes in terms of durability and toughness, but I like to look at consistent greatness, consistent excellence, when I am looking at Hall of Fame caliber players. And while you make some very good points, and I pointed out a lot of those stats that you just discussed, talking about why people are going to be saying, oh, there's no way Tyler Lockett's a Hall of Famer. But I think there is a lot of ammunition here if you look past those milestones that you typically look for when you're talking baseball Hall of Famers. And the first thing that jumps out to me is just context from the last four years with Tyler Lockett. We're talking about a player in the last four seasons has had 70 or more catches, a thousand or more yards and eight or more receiving touchdowns. That has happened with eight players in NFL history. We mentioned Jerry Rice earlier, the greatest receiver, maybe the greatest football player ever. He did it seven straight years. Marvin Harrison did it eight straight years. Chris Carter, six. Terrell Owens, five. Antonio Brown, as much as I can't stand the guy, was an incredible football player. Six straight years hitting those numbers. But Tyler Lockett is next on that rung there with four consecutive years, and he just narrowly missed hitting that value in his 2018 season as well. 
And so we're talking about a guy that has consistently been great. We're talking the best receivers in NFL history. Jerry Rice, Marvin Harrison, Chris Carter, Terrell Owens. And we're talking elite talents. And Tyler Lockett is on this list with them. And he's only going to be 31 this season. He's got a chance to do this several more seasons in the NFL in Seattle's offense with Geno Smith. And just to put it in further perspective for our listeners He's the only player in the last four years that has done this in the NFL every single season in the past happy era that we are in right now. You've got all these incredible receivers like Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill. You've got a great tight end in Kelsey. None of these guys did it. Tyler Lockett is the only one that did it. So I think that by itself, that is a remarkable company that he is keeping right there. And if he can get to a fifth straight season, or even if he doesn't get it this year, but he does it the year after, I mean, we're talking really elite company for Tyler Lockett. And I have a few more things I'm going to throw at you because to me, these three, four year stretches in the NFL are more valuable than we're talking baseball when guys have 15 plus year careers consistently. Football is a different story with how physical and how grueling the sport is. But for me, two other things. Tyler Lockett's the only player in the NFL the last five years with at least eight receiving touchdowns. No other player has done that in today's past happy era. That's another statistic that really jumps out. And this is the one that I think really matters the most. All time, NFL players with at least 500 receptions, 7,000 receiving yards, 50 receiving touchdowns, two kick return touchdowns, and a punt return touchdown in a career. Three dudes have done it. Steve Smith is going to be a Hall of Famer. He was a fantastic player. Tyler Lockett is the only other player on that list. And so I think that's what makes this case unique is that we are talking about a guy that was an all-pro, a three-time all-pro, one-time first team, twice second team as a kick and punt return specialist on top of what he's done at receiver and criminally never been an all-pro or pro bowler with the incredible consistency that we've seen. Anyway, Dallas, I'm going to dish it to you now because you get to be the jury and you get to be the judge, you get to be the executioner, whatever you want. You get to decide this debate here with both of our sets of data that we have thrown out here. Both of you guys had excellent points. And actually, this answer is going to be a little bit of both of you guys. So for you, Corbin, I agree with you on the fact that Tyler Lockett has been criminally underrated. Both of you guys said that, actually. He's been criminally underrated throughout his entire career. And He's done things that not much other players have done. And the value of consistency is extremely important in the NFL, especially. But I I'll, but I have to, at the end of the day, agree with Nick that he's not going to make it. But because popularity, I don't think it's because of him as a player. The stats that you did bring up, I thought that those ones were very Hall of Fame worthy. Look at the names that you brought up in the competition and in the company that he was with. Those are all Those are Hall of Fame numbers. But the problem is, I don't think he's getting the respect around the rest of the league that other top receivers do. And I think that has a lot to do with when he first came into the league, he was under Doug Baldwin. Then to see it when he finally gets the chance and Doug Baldwin retires, they draft DK Metcalf and he becomes kind of the popular face of the Seahawks wide receiver room. So I think both of you guys are right. But at the end of the day, I have a trouble to see if Tyler Lockett really will make it. At the end of the day, he's got to have a few more seasons where he puts up really big numbers to get into that discussion. But I think that he hits that fifth or sixth year in a row, putting up those numbers consistently in today's era that other elite receivers are not touching. Um, 
I think at that point with his special teams accolades that you have to strongly consider, but he is such a quiet leader and he doesn't want the attention, whether he's doing great stuff on the field or off. Like he wants to do it without fanfare. And that might be to his detriment as a Hall of Fame candidate. He's a Hall of Famer off the field. He is. Absolutely. 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 100%. And that stuff matters too. If he actually wins the Walter Payton Man of the Year award at some t- at some point, he's been a nominee a couple times. If he ever wins that award, which he would certainly be deserving, like that stuff is considered by Hall of Fame voters, absolutely. So I don't think that it is out of the picture here. I do think it's going to be difficult with the lack of Pro Bowls and All Pros, which I think is ridiculous that he doesn't have any of those as a receiver, as darn good of a player as he is. But that's just the way that things have gone. And maybe that changes the next few years. You got to hope people take notice. But I think both of us made really good points. I think Dallas had some interesting stuff to throw in there as well. But at the end of the day, I think that he's certainly a Hall of Fame caliber player. I just don't know if he's going to get the attention that he needs. And you made some good points about the overall cumulative production. I just don't know that that matters as much in pro football Hall of Fame voting as it would in, say, basketball or baseball where guys have longer careers, they play a lot more games. It is a little bit different criteria as far as how you vote on players. It certainly is an interesting debate, though. You can check out my article that I posted. Again, it's on all Seahawks through Fan Nation on Sports Illustrated. And you can see all the arguments I made on both sides and ultimately my final thoughts on that. Coming up next, we're going to rank Seattle's five outside free agent signings. Which ones do we like? Which ones are we scratching our heads a little bit about? We're going to be discussing and debating that coming up next year on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. We're well past the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and three-pointers drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player parlay builder. For example, you can bet on Tobias Harris on the 76 to score 20 points at plus 370. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your first no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for our Blue Friday episode by my co-host tandem here, Nick Lee and Dallas Cooper. Special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening over in Argentina or you're listening in nearby Redmond. We greatly appreciate all of our listeners making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes from free agency to the draft, salary cap management, and more. Join NFL experts Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino as they take you through what it's like to build a successful NFL franchise every Monday through Friday. Find Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, gentlemen, we are now... Almost done with two full weeks of free agency. Things have gotten a lot quieter this week because, quite frankly, teams have ran out of money. This happens every year after the first week or so, and then teams have to start figuring out who do we cut, who do we extend so that we actually have some money to buy some more players. But we are now two weeks in. The Seahawks have signed five outside free agents, including a splash signing 
So let's rank those players now that we've had a chance to look at the signings, where they fit into Seattle's plans next season and beyond. Nick, I'm going to dish you the mic here first. How would you rank Seattle's five outside free agents and why? I always like to start these from worst to best and and, and uh, start and then on a good note. Um, for number five, or sorry, as far as you know, the worst or the going from worst to best as far as free agents, and I don't think any of these are like you know horrible, you know, idiot moves or anything like that. But um, I will be honest: your uh, film breakdown, Corbin, on Twitter of one Devin Bush did not instill a lot of confidence in me in his run instincts. They are uh, not great, Bob. So um, for me, it's it's Devin Bush. Um, it's he's his last two years, his run defensive grade this year was 56.4 on Pro Football Focus. 2021 was 27.2. So really, really bad. And I, I said before, um, there's a certain linebacker who just left by the name of Cody Barton, who's had a better Pro Football Focus grade the last two years than Devin Bush. So he's very much a reclamation project over an upgrade or a replacement at linebacker. Um, well, it's, it's definitely a wait and see. Um, from that, Jaron Reed, um, I like the homecoming story. That's always great. Um, I'm not saying this is a bad signing. The interior defensive line really, really needed a ton of depth. And I think Jaron Reed, you know, he knows the system kind of a little bit, at least some of the personnel and coaches. Um, I think that's a general positive. He, he does have a ton of ru- uh, pass rushing tools from the interior. Number three, uh, Evan Brown. I don't love him at center. I, I like him, but I don't love him. I do. Um, he's going to be probably better than Austin Blythe uh, was last year. Um, he, he might be their best center since Justin Britt, which isn't saying a ton, um, but I, I think he might. And I, I do hope the Seahawks still um, uh, you know, look in the draft for, for a center if they can upgrade there. But I, I do like him. And number two, Julian Love. I love the versatility that he brings, either at nickelback or, you know, big safety or something like that. Um, just He just instantly makes the secondary that much deeper, perhaps the big, the deepest – no, not perhaps. It is the deepest unit um, on defense right now, maybe one of the deeper units on the whole team thanks to that. Um, and number one, Draymond Jones. I'm not sure there's a ton of debate there. I've been banging the drum all offseason for interior defensive line upgrades, and not only that, they clean house and totally pretty much started from scratch. And it's, you could do a lot worse than starting with Draymond Jones, five-plus sacks um, consistently from the interior line, tied for 11th last year and pressures last year from an interior defensive lineman. So I'm going to go with him as my best sign. Yeah, I think that that's probably the popular pick. If you pulled fans with this question, I think Draymond Jones would probably be a resounding majority of the picks at number one. Dallas, let's swing it over to you now. You get to play the ranking game, and you could go best to worst, or you could do what Nick did and go worst to best, whatever floats your boat. I'm going to do what Nick did. I'm going to go worst worst to best because that actually sounded pretty interesting. But I have an actual different signing. I'm going to start this off with the worst signing. And again, like Nick said, I wouldn't say this is a horrible signing by any stretch. This is just the worst signing of the period of so far in free agency. For me, I would have Jaron Reed. And yes, as Nick said, love the homecoming story. But last year in Green Bay, he looked checked out. And there was at times where it didn't look like he was interested in being on the field. So Seahawks, I feel like that's their reclamation project as well. As, as well as Devin Bush, who is next on my list. Devin Bush, again, former top 10 pick, has all the tools there. The injury, he's a little bit of the speed. But as Nick said, and as Corbin broke down in film on Twitter, run instincts sometimes aren't there. 
Yes, he's willing to throw his body into these guards, and that's what John Schneider talked about. But that does not mean that it works. Again, this is an undersized linebacker. So throwing your body into a guy who has 100 pounds on you might not work every time. <laughs> For my next guy on this list, Evan Brown. Evan Brown, center from the Lions. He's going to come in, bring stability. And that's really the Seah- what the Seahawks needed. They needed stability along the middle of the offensive line. And to be able to go into the draft without a major need there, and that's, the, that's a huge thing. They can truly select best player available. And I'm going to go different. Number two, I got Draymond Jones. And overall, if you're looking at the best player, he's probably number one. But in terms of the signing, I love Julian Love signing just a little more. The deal that Julian Love took was extremely team friendly. I did not think Julian Love would cost that little bit. On the free mark, on the free agency market, Julian Love, I was expecting at least 20, 20 million. But he's coming to Seattle on a two-year deal worth $12 million, brings in a pretty much similar skill set to Justin Coleman. And as the past happy league we're seeing today, you need a nickel defensive back. That's become a priority. That's not no longer your third cornerback. That is a priority position nowadays. Yeah, you make some very good points there. My list is going to be a little bit different than both of you guys. And you know what? I'm I'm going to do the same. I was thinking about being different and going from best to worst and finishing the show on a sour note, but I don't want to do that to our listeners. So at, at the back end, I'm going to go with Jaron Reed at number five myself as well. And it's based on what I've noticed. Now, I have to go back and watch more tape because – I've mostly watched Devin Bush. I've only watched one game so far of Jaron Reed in Green Bay. I watched a game of him in Kansas City two years ago, too. I thought he was much more effective in Kansas City. And last year, it was just really up and down. When he was playing well, I thought he played really well. And Green Bay's defense seemed to feed off of that. If he wasn't playing well, then the Packers fell apart. Now, I'll give him a little bit of a break that it was hard to play well in Green Bay last year. There was a lot of drama, and I think there was a certain guy that was involved with a lot of that, and it's still going on. But I think that his play really declined last season. What the Seahawks have to be hoping is that he's going to be rejuvenated coming back to Seattle, working with some of his former coaches, and he's just going to want to be there. Because I agree with Dallas. I do think there were times on film, at least in the game I watched, it just looked like there were plays that he kind of checked out. and He got pushed around more than what he ever did in his first day in Seattle. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. I'm hoping that he still got it. But last year's film, there were way too many plays where I was shaking my head a little bit, wondering what is he doing or is he checked out? He didn't look like the same player in terms of physically holding up in the trenches. At number four on my list, this is going to surprise some people. I'm going to go with Evan Brown just because I think the Seahawks are still drafting a center early. I like Evan Brown a lot, but this was an insurance signing with the money that they gave him. I think he can be a long-term starting center. I like the player a lot, but I think Seattle's got some centers in this draft class that they might like a lot more. If John Michael Schmitz is there for them, Nick's favorite player. Uh, If there's a guy like, say, uh, Wisconsin center, Tittman is another one that I really like that you might get on day two. If one of those players available, Seattle is going to take that player and they're going to hope he beats out Evan Brown. Now, Brown can play guard. That gives him some value, but I'm going with him at number four on my list. At number three, the player I broke down today, the linebacker, Devin Bush. The reason I've got him this high on the list is I feel like if Seattle, and those of you, if you've read the article today, you can kind of get a glimpse where I'm coming from on this. There are a lot of red flags, the injuries that he's had. 
the run issues at the same time. This dude does not miss tackles. He's missed three tackles last year. The year before, didn't miss many tackles. When he gets his hands on a guy, he finishes. And it looks to me like there might be more of a mental thing going on with him now at this point than physical. This guy was a freak athlete coming out of Michigan. There's a reason he was picked in the top 10. His rookie tape is really good. And you saw some flashes of it last year. His 2021 film was awful, but he was a year coming off that injury. I think this past season, you got to see some glimpses. He's 24 too. This guy is really young. So I feel like this might be a guy where that change of scenery thing actually applies, getting him around a super positive coach in Pete Carroll that believes in him, some of the other assistants they have. Now, you've got to get some other linebackers because you can't put all your eggs in this basket because of how he's played the last couple of years. But if it works out, I think Devin Bush could be a long-term starter for you because the physical tools are there. I think most of it is mental for him, and I think he wanted to get out this Seattle with God, I think it's a great opportunity for him to jumpstart his career. At number two, I'm going to go with Draymond Jones. I'm going to agree with Dallas on this because I'm considering value on this. And I think the money they gave him, that's what the market value was. This is a guy that's been consistent, five and a half sacks or more each of the last three years. I think he can be even better in Seattle's system. He was frustrated by some things going on in Denver. He's only 26. I love this signing. But I got to go with Julian Love at number one, agreeing with Dallas on this. Dallas, you and I agree on a lot on this particular one. It is the value and also the fact that you don't know if Jamal Adams is going to be Jamal Adams. I think that pr- really pushes him to number one on my list. Love could be starting a lot of games for you at safety this year if Jamal Adams either isn't his old self or he battles more injuries and it gives you a really team-friendly insurance option beyond this year with it being a two-year contract that you could move on from Adams next year if you need to. I hope Jamal Adams returns healthy as his old self. I really do. But the Seahawks have prepared in case that isn't the case. And I just love the contract, as Dallas mentioned. So I've got him at number one. Really, the only big difference is I'm higher on Devin Bush. And that might surprise people looking at my film stuff. But I think there's some really good stuff there if you look closely and if the Seahawks can find a way to get more consistency and more confidence from him. I think he can still be a pretty solid NFL middle linebacker. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51 and you can follow Dallas at Dallas C Cooper. You can follow and subscribe locked on Seahawks for free on YouTube and all major podcast platforms to make sure that you don't miss a single episode. When we come back on Monday, it'll be mock draft Monday and Rob and I will be diving into some expert mock drafts as we come out of some of these pro days that happened this week and much more. Hope you'll be listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Go Hawks.